0: As this episode deals with some sexual content, listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome to the Stuff Up podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. I am here with award-winning political journalist, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, Anne Michaud, and she wrote a book called Why They Stay, which is super fantastic. So welcome and thank you for coming on my podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: So, I mean, you you have an amazing job, actually, like a political journalist. That must be crazy.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not covering politics these days. I'm doing working on audience engagement, which is kind of a new trend for media organizations. I did cover politics for many years for Newsday, which is a regional New York newspaper, and Crane's New York Business, which is a New York City-based business publication that I was their political reporter for several years. Was that during the Clinton administration? No, that was during, well, Michael Bloomberg was mayor, and President George Bush, and then I don't think I got into the Obama year, so
0: Okay, well, that would have been interesting times. Yeah, yeah. I guess every presidency, there's interesting times.
1: (laughs) Really is, yeah.
0: So you first wrote Why They Stay in 2017, and then you brought the second edition out just this year, 2021, because of, were you getting constant questions about why Melania stays with Donald Trump?
1: I really was. Were
0: people always asking? Yeah,
1: I would go to different mostly women's groups and library groups, bookstores, and people would come in and we'd talk about, you know, the couples I had in there, Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin, the Kennedys, the Thorpes from England, and people would, inevitably, someone would ask me afterwards, what, what about Donald and Melania? The book came out in March of 2017, so it was right after Donald Trump was elected and there had been a lot of talk about him being unfaithful. He hasn't ever said that that's true, but I think, you know, Melania's had to put up with a lot of, at least rumors.
0: When he became president, was that what prompted you to start writing the book in the first place of all the different couples in history that people have wondered why the women stayed? or what prompted you to write the book?
1: The first prompting was that we thought Hillary Clinton was going to run for president, which she did, and that people were still curious about why she was staying with with Bill. And in fact, we had been having this conversation for what seemed like 20 years publicly, that she, in the 90s, there was the scandal with a White House intern, and There still was no really good answer to the question of why she stayed. And I think ultimately that hung over her when she did run for president and created some suspicion around her ability to be forthright with people.
0: Right, which is funny because isn't it that was one of the things that Trump brought up in their debates or something, or when he was challenging Hillary, and yet there were instances of him being unfaithful, and did nobody challenge that? Like I don't really remember all. It was just kind of poo-pooed away, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of odd.
1: Well, there was um, they have the political consultants talk about the October surprise, which they try to bring out something damning to the other, the opposition, right before the election. And this time it was the Access Hollywood tape in which Trump was, Donald Trump was talking about grabbing women by their private parts and they just let you do it when you're famous like him. And then there was a series of between 15 and 20 women who came forward and said he's, he had harassed me or assaulted me sexually and. So really, I think the Democrats just thought, our work is done here. Right. (laughs) Then this came out like two days before their final debate. And the Trump campaign very quickly put together a group of women who had made accusations against Bill Clinton and one woman who actually felt as though Hillary was wrong to have defended a man that she accused of right. Having those people present, I think those four women present at the debate, sitting and watching it, I mean, it it really shut down a lot of the conversation about what Donald Trump had done and raised questions about, well, why don't we know more about Bill Clinton's activity? And did Hillary protect him? And has she stayed with him and why? So it was really seemed very relevant. I thought really the Clinton marriage was going to be maybe the final one in which a woman stayed. And then this question came up so strongly in the election. And it wasn't just about infidelity. It was just as much about harassment, assault. And I think that it just bore looking at again, from my perspective.
0: I think that's fantastic because We talk about these things, but we don't really, I guess, examine when that happened with Bill Clinton. And I was like, why would she stay with him? And you do go through a lot of different couples throughout history. In the first chapter, you talk about Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR, but that was a different time. She kind of had to stay in the, was that the early 1900s? And, but she had every right to leave. I mean, really, if your husband keeps cheating on you. (laughs) Like, we're grateful she didn't, right? Because she she was able to use her power as the president's wife to create change for everyone, which is really amazing. So at the beginning of your book, do you go through each of the couples and you give the women the white queen points. And can you talk a little bit about the white queen and what that represents?
1: Sure. I had really finished researching this book and my editor asked me, can you find a symbol or something that you could say that represents the decisions these women are making. And I looked back in history and found a woman, Elizabeth Woodville, who had been a commoner. Her husband died. She met the man who was about to become king of England. And they married at the time, you know, their marriages were all arranged between the royals, but these two married for love. And Mm -hmm. She managed, she had 10 brothers and sisters and she got them all positions at court. And so it was sort of an advantageous marriage. She managed to help her family out, her children as well. She ended up becoming the one of the people who founded the Tudor dynasty, her descendants did. And so Henry VIII and Elizabeth I are descendants of hers. And I think she always had her legacy in mind, her security. And so when I saw this person and contrasted her with our modern women who have so many more choices about how to live a a life, even independently, financially, I thought that's interesting that that there are echoes of this same decision-making so long ago when there was so much less freedom for women.
0: Yeah. I mean, this goes from the 1900s into today's age, and it seems like it's still the same reasons, right?
1: (laughs) Similar reasons, I know. It's unusual. I mean, I think that probably I can't really put myself in that position because I didn't marry someone who had huge ambitions, political. And I think that that sort of thinking changes the decisions you make.
0: And you did mention in the book where I think it was, was it Bill or I can't remember specifically, although it it kind of applies to all of them. When you're running for office, if you're divorced or you're single, it kind of creates a problem because people won't want to vote for you. Like that's why Jack Kennedy married Jackie Kennedy, because he was single and he's like, I need a wife so I can run for presidency.
1: Yeah, I think the timing did Work out that way for him. Even his brother, Ted Kennedy, when he was running, he asked his estranged wife, Joan, to come on the campaign trail with him because it just wouldn't look good otherwise.
0: Let's say that were to happen now in 2021. Do you think there would be a chance for somebody who was single or divorced to have a chance, or do you think it still would be against them?
1: No, I think that people can run now without having the Hallmark card family life. Michael Bloomberg was mayor for three terms, and he had was divorced and had a woman friend, Donald Trump, twice oh, yeah. divorced, three times divorced. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the electorate probably does prefer someone who has a committed relationship, but I don't know that if you made a, a couple of divorces in order to get there. I think you see Pete Buttigieg is in a committed relationship and I don't know that that hurts him or helps him. I think, you know, politicians tend to want to present a solid family life, if not one without any error. I don't think that's the way we judge people anymore now.
0: You know, it's funny. I would love to see a flawed politician actually showing that they're flawed. And yet, I don't know if I would, because we would love the authenticity, right? Like them saying, I'm not this perfect person that I'm pretending to be, but yet we would not like it because we want them to be that,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) I think we do hope for this sort of a little bit above normal ability to be judicious and think about the future and think about other people. And I'm not sure that you know, our politics really attracts that type of person. I think you do see some many people go into it for the right reasons, but I think there are some reasons of ego and etc. that maybe aren't as as fruitful for for our, for our politics.
0: So you did a lot of research on all these different couples. Was there one couple that was your favorite researching or that you identified with most? <laughs>
1: I liked researching Eleanor Roosevelt and Jackie Kennedy because I found so many surprising things about them they were sort of these mythic figures in my mind and to learn about their Eleanor's difficult childhood and really her her troubles as a mom she really went through a lot favorite I think I really liked reading about the Spitzers, who, who are, Elliot was the governor of New York, and I covered his administration for a while, knew a lot of people around him, and really admired him. I admired his politics. I admire Hillary's politics. And I just feel as though it's a shame that these flaws brought them down.
0: I remember when that happened with Elliot Spitzer. I, I remember his name and He had, oh wait, I get him confused sometimes with Anthony Weiner. Spitzer was the one that was getting, he was getting call like prostitutes coming.
1: Yeah, they're both New Yorkers. So that's understandable. Elliot had, uh, yeah, high paid call girls and quit as governor after, I think it was a little less than a year. I might be wrong about that, but it was a short time. He wasn't in office very long. And Anthony was a congressman and wanted to be mayor of the city. He ran a couple times, and he was married to Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, Huma Abedin. And Anthony had been texting, sexting with multiple women, but I guess the one that really got him put into prison was <laughs> the woman he was sexting with was 15.
0: And then he tweeted a picture of his private parts because he thought he was sexting with somebody. hmm He,
1: he hit, <laughs> I don't know what you call it in Twitter right now, but uh, Reply All or something. Oh, oh dear.
0: <laughs> yeah. And his last name doesn't help his case. I mean, like...
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. He would be the first to say that as well. He He's always said he feels like his last name made him into a punchline.
0: Yeah, they had a heyday. I mean... A lot of the late night talk show hosts and Saturday Night Live—they have such fun with, especially if they have names <laughs> synonymous with things. <laughs> Always been fascinated with the Kennedys, and I do remember seeing a lot of documentaries or miniseries where JFK was was running around on her, and I felt so bad for her. And I'm like, why? Why do you have to do this to her? But I, I heard near the end, kind of maybe a year before. He was assassinated. They kind of came together. I don't know. Did he, if he stopped cheating in that time or they just kind of had a stronger bond during that, those last year or last few years?
1: I think when he brought Jackie to Europe, that she was such a hit that he realized what a, an asset she was. And people say that they became closer at that point. I don't know if there was a let up in cheating. To me, it seems like he was sort of compulsive in sleeping with women, almost like an addiction. Many of these men may be. I don't really understand why you would jeopardize committed relationship for a few moments of pleasure, but
0: that's me. Well, and it was really interesting how you did talk about the generations, the Roosevelt children and how they then would get divorced a few times or they were cheating and it kind of trickles down. I don't know if that's like a generational
1: thing that's passed on or like what that's about,
0: but it's interesting, right, to hear that stuff.
1: Well, I think, you know, both Eleanor and Franklin grew up in social circles where they were supposed to marry someone within that circle, something like the 400 or something, certain families that you could affiliate with. And then their children also, for their first marriages, I think they had five kids, and I think I'm quoting this correctly, 22 marriages among them. And the first marriages, one of the brothers pointed out, was to have a socially acceptable set. And then after that, they sort of broke out a little bit. But really, all of that divorce in a time when it wasn't, as common. I don't know. I think it it sort of points out a lot of pain that people are going through. One of the Roosevelt kids tried to have his wife committed to a mental institution in order to take her money from her. And another of the wives or wife or girlfriend tried to commit suicide during a family Thanksgiving. I mean, really just terrible stories that you can't imagine living through.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on there, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think Eleanor said that she wanted to stay together for their children. And I think also Franklin's mother threatened to cut them off financially. But later in her life, when her daughter, Anna, was going through a divorce or getting remarried, one of those junctures... Eleanor said, don't ever stay in a loveless marriage. I never would advise that. And it it seemed as though maybe she had rethought her decision, partly because of the fallout for her children.
0: Yeah. And that's why a lot of women stay for the children. But then you wonder, I mean, what the children are seeing, is that actually a good enough reason versus maybe it would be a better place if you left? I mean, only they would really know, but. Hard when I think to figure out.
1: Really is. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of patriarchy that's involved in this kind of situation. And there's something that you said in the book. Women get the public scorn, even though it's the husbands or the ones who cheated. And I've noticed that in a lot of things we say, like if there's somebody, if a woman leaves her husband, we're like, Well, she left him, and what why did she do that? And we blame her. For that kind of situation, whereas we don't know, most times he was probably abusive or he was cheating, or we don't know what was going on, but we want to blame the women. What is up with that?
1: Why? Why do we do this? Do you,
0: I don't know if you have an answer.
1: <laughs> I don't know, but you see, even the women involved in these marriages that I was writing about have at times blamed themselves. Huma Abedin, Anthony Weiner's wife told a friend, and it was quoted later, I should have been paying more attention to him. I was, I stopped going to therapy with him because I was focused on our son or something like that. So she was blaming herself. And, and Silda Fitzer has said, the wife is supposed to take care of the sex. I, I didn't live up to that. So I think there's a very strong sense that Women take care and take responsibility for the home life. Well, in your book,
0: you have a quote from Dr. Laura Schlesinger when she was talking to Meredith Vera. When the wife does not focus in on the needs and the feelings sexually, personally, to make him feel like a man, to make him feel like a success, to make him feel like her hero, he's very susceptible to the charm of some other woman making him feel what he needs. And these days, women don't spend a lot of time thinking about how they can give their men what they need. You put that in the chapter about Solda, And that really spoke to me because I grew up in a very conservative environment where we would say this stuff. We're like, it's her fault. The woman is supposed to, like, if he's going to prostitutes, why is she not giving him sex? And we're blaming her. And so this like I have a different perspective now, so I really hated reading this because it made me angry. <laughs> but I also understand because that's kind of how we would view things, and a lot of people still view things when they're especially if they're super conservative. but it's quite it's horrible. So I mean, and a lot of times these men have issues. I mean, they're obsessed, they're sex addicts, or I don't know what else is going on, you know, maybe they're like things kinky. I mean, Why would that be up to the woman to like it's her fault then that he goes and does these things? When you were reading some of this, I mean, you must have been feeling
1: enraged. (laughs) I can only think of it from my perspective, and I don't have any testosterone running through my system, but I just think my actions are my responsibility. And I think for men, the same holds. And a guy wanders. It could be that he's not happy in his marriage. But I think, you know, you talk about it, you confront the other person, you show them that enough respect to say, this isn't, I'm not happy. This isn't working. Is there something we can do? Or are we done? Or I actually had a friend who left her marriage by cheating on her husband. And, you know, I just couldn't get over it in terms of the friendship, it wasn't, it was always in the way I was, I just thought it was cowardly.
0: Yeah. So I've never been married and I've never had a boyfriend cheat on me. Not that I know of, Uh, (laughs) but I can't even imagine what that's like to find out. And especially if you're in the public eye for how to have people, if they find out first and you hear it secondhand, or just to know that it's going to come out. And not only do you have this relationship with your spouse, where you feel hurt and betrayed. But now it's playing out in the public sphere.
1: Yeah, that's what was so interesting to me about these couples. Number one, I I guess I always want our political leaders to be a little bit above being human, I guess. You know, I feel like if you're in that position of that responsibility, I want to be able to look up to someone. But the other thing was that I thought if this happened to me, I wouldn't be staying in the marriage and letting it happen again and again. There must be, and I think a lot of women would, my friends, you know, most of them. And I thought there could be political element to why they're staying. And that's what I tried to bring out in the book is how they calculate, how can we do damage control? Some people obviously didn't have to because for example, Eleanor Roosevelt, Jackie Kennedy, those things didn't necessarily come out in the press at the time. They weren't confronted with them. But you definitely see the later couples like Puma Abedin or Melania Trump talking about what they will and won't do in terms of defending their husband. And I think that possibly there won't be any hiding these things in the future, who knows, but the cameras are everywhere as we know from the many activities or, or incidents that have been captured on camera with uh, police brutality or any number of things so I'm getting angry at a restaurant but I think that there will be less ability to to hide things from the public than in the past, and we're just sort of on that steady path toward um, full disclosure
0: i think yeah i mean everything comes out now where i remember when i first heard about people in the past and basically a lot of them had affairs and nobody knew about it but now everyone knows or it will come out eventually somebody's gonna have a picture like you said or something written online (laughs) and we're i think we're more angry about it now too because we do want our leaders to have a a little, we want them to be better than us, I think, in some respect.
1: Not just get elected and then just relish, oh, now I, I can do whatever I want. I mean, you know, I don't know That's it should be my opinion, a sense of now this is trust has been placed in me. Now I will do everything I can to be a good leader. Sounds a little corny maybe, but I think we have to have some standards. I remember when Bill, when it came out about
0: Bill Clinton and, um, oh my word, what's her name? Why am I blanking out on her name? Monica, I was going to say Melanie. And I'm like, no, that's not right. That was all that was talked about in the 90s (laughs) and the blue dress. I remember thinking, because I mean, we grew up pretty conservative and it was like, oh, how dare he do that? He's not, if you're going to cheat, then We can't trust you to be, I mean, I'm Canadian, so he wasn't even my president, but we have this idea of we can't trust them to be moral or to be good leaders because they've lied and cheated on their wives. But it seems like this happens so often and a lot of men, I mean, I would consider FDR and JFK good leaders, at least as far as I know. I don't really know too, too much. And I've only, yeah, it's kind of easy in retrospect because we look at the good things they did. Whereas a lot of the negative stuff, I mean, we don't really focus on that as much, but nowadays we do more focus on the politicians in front of us. But now looking back, I'm thinking, well, it happens to so many and they can still be good leaders, but I think there's still a lack of respect Like we lose respect for them when they do cheat.
1: I think, you know, the, when we equate the, what they're doing in their private lives with whether we can trust them, whether they're honorable, I think that's where the advice to political spouses comes in. They're told to, if you stand next to him and say you forgive him and love him, then the public can trust him again. That's, I think, very different from what you see with private couples. That's where a decision is made that's for politics and not necessarily for what you want for your marriage.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because if we see the the woman standing with him and saying... Yes, you know, I'm supporting him and he made a mistake and we're working on it. Brings us back to a little bit of level of trust. But at the same time, I'm wondering I mean, I'm getting skeptical over the years <laughs> and I'm wondering is she being pushed into this? How? And I think, can't remember who it was, but there was one woman who stood by her husband, but she gave him like daggers. You could tell she did not want to be there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think probably Sylvia Spitzer gave them daggers. Wendy getter was pretty, a little bit like, oh, I'll get this over with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the
0: poor women. Mm-hmm. Now it's so interesting when you were talking about Melania and Donald's because I was one of those people that like, she's gorgeous and she seems really cool. And why is she with this frumpy old man who's rude and says these things about people all the time? And But you were explaining a lot of their story, how they seem to have this love for each other, which seems very odd to us. But also, she doesn't put up with a lot of crap, and where she won't necessarily stand with him. What was it? She was, she was asked.
1: The political consultants were talking about after some of that came out about the Access Hollywood tape, and they said maybe, wouldn't it be great if Donald would go on TV with Melania on one side and Ivanka on the other and to try to show very, you know, visually that, that there's a reason for women to support him and to vote for him. And Melania shut it down. She said, no, no, I'm not doing that. Just not. And I think she's her own person, but I also think that she agrees with her husband a lot more than than we know. For example, I watched a clip of her talking about the birther conspiracy and wanting to know where Barack Obama's birth certificate was and don't you want to see it? And I think one interesting thing about who Donald Trump has married is two of his wives came from Eastern Bloc countries where You had heavy-handed leaders. And I think Melania is sort of comfortable with that authoritarian personality.
0: Right. That was quite interesting when I was reading that. But it makes sense because their fathers were very much like him, where you just put up with it, right? And patriarchal.
1: Yeah. Her dad was sort of a big guy, tall. Just like um, Donald Trump, I think they're only five years apart in age, and he had a big personality and liked to be admired and dressed really nicely. So I think <laughs> you can see some parallels there.
0: But also that whole, she wanted to be more than, she wanted to have the name associated. She was a model, she's beautiful, but she wanted this notoriety and being with him who was already famous and hung out with celebrities and had The Apprentice and then got into politics. I mean, there you go. The world knows you now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she necessarily thought she was going to be first lady. But I think that like the political psychologist that I quoted in the book, Bart Rossi, he said that he felt as though when Melania was living in New York and working as a model and she could have married any number of wealthy men. Donald came with more than that. He was, like you said, he was, he came with notoriety. He came with instant fame. I'm sure he was quite charming too <laughs> when he was courting her.
0: That'd be interesting to see what he, he's like charming. I don't know if I've ever seen that on TV. <laughs> we did when I was with
1: the um, Oh Newsday editorial board. Oh, really? We had an interview with, with Donald Trump on the phone. He was, um, he was charming. Maybe I'm just watching the wrong clip. Yep, yep. Definitely knows how to how to do it. Although,
0: you know, I used to watch The Apprentice and I actually found him quite amusing. I thought he was a little bit mean sometimes, but I thought this is, that stuff happens on those kind of shows. But it was, I always thought it was just like trying to be a goofy, he was trying to act it up for the cameras maybe which he probably was. That's what you got
1: to (laughs) do. Yeah. I'm sure he can be gracious, a host. That's the only time I have really met him was this one phone call, but I'm looking for a new book topic. I've been, um, so I'm interested in, in getting back to writing. I've been doing a little bit of marketing for this book now, and just want to dig into a new topic. I really, when I published the first edition, I thought I was done with political couples and infidelity. And then <laughs> there was a lot of question about the Trump. And so I went back and did that piece, but I feel like I'm finished now. Although the cynics will say, oh, this this um, topic will be coming up again and again, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, maybe in twenty years you can write another book of the last twenty years. <laughs> if we keep having more and more of these people come out, right?
1: Yeah. I think I think really the American view of fidelity and serial marriages and I think it's really changing and, and it's gonna be fascinating to watch. I mean, I think in some ways I might be a little bit of a throwback. One marriage, twenty six years, pretty it's, it's I'm happily married and I don't know, maybe that I think that's more and more an unusual story.
0: Maybe. I think it's something we all aspire to, though. I think we all love that. Because a lot of people, I think we all just kind of long for that one person to be able to share things with and trust.
1: <laughs> right. I don't think that really ever goes away. The dear friend,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, you're an amazing writer. And I I really enjoyed your book. It was Wonderful to read, and I learned a lot. And I love that you went through all these different people because I'm like, I remember this story, I remember this name, but I didn't really know what was going on half the time. So you did all that research for me. (laughs) So thank
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good. That's what I love to hear.
0: How can people reach you if they want to find out more about you or email you?
1: My website is anmeshow.com. So that's a easy way to get in touch with me. I also am on Twitter at at A-M-M-I-C-H-A-U-D. So that's my first and middle name, Anne Margaret Michaud. So A-M-M. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, all the places.
0: Awesome. And the book is called Why They Stay. So go pick it up. Well, thank you so much, Anne. It was very lovely chatting with you and learning so much From you. And I hope you continue to write, you find your next topic and you write another book and let us know when that's coming out and what it is.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Stephanie. I really appreciate your podcast and your focus on strong relationships. Thank
0: you. So check out Anne's book, Why They Stay Sex Scandals, Deals, and Hidden Agendas of Eight Political Wives. It's very good. There's so much to learn, and it is educational and very intriguing. (laughs) So check out that book, Why They Stay, by Anne Michaud. So thank you, Anne, for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate it. And how perfect is it that I released this episode today, on September 20th, because of all the days here in Canada, we have an election to vote for our next prime minister, and so I was as I was going through this episode and listening to it and kind of editing it through, I thought, oh, that's funny. I'm putting this episode out the day that we vote. So there you go. A little bit of of politics <laughs> on a political day here in Canada. By the way, I have to thank my editor, German at your podcast editor. He is simply amazing. He puts it together. But when I get it back, I go through and edit out myself because I you know the filler words like 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 like, and I talk too much sometimes, so I edit that stuff out. But he does all the he does all the hard work. Oh, and guys, so my book is out now. My children's book that I just published is called What Should Dragon Do? It's a children's story about handling the little everyday details, the little situations that come up, and how should we handle them? Uh, it's a great story for children's three to six about there so you can go out and buy it on my website stephanieannweb.com and with no e uh, also check out my website for the podcast stephuppodcast.com check me out on the socials Up underscore podcast uh, on instagram St- uh, on twitter i'm at, at steph underscore ann underscore web and yeah those are it i think Man, I just can't even keep up with all the social media links. Also, if you want to help promote the podcast, share with your friends or your enemies, whatever. Uh, if you can subscribe, rate and review, that also helps people to find it and just, you know, it helps me to know that people actually listen and like it. <laughs> so that is much appreciated. Thank you so much. I'm excited for next episode. I'm bringing out three this month, and it's with my wonderful friend from Virginia, Mark Tinsley. Oh, my gosh. What is Mark is a pastor, a podcaster, radio station owner, soldier, musician. I think he's a poet, too. Mark just does so much that I can't even I can't even keep up with everything. But he is a speaker on top of that and and one of the topics that he really is he really speaks on and loves to talk about is toxic leadership. I know my friend Wesley is waiting for this episode. So, yes, toxic leadership. We've all been under it and seen it and it is definitely hurtful. So, check that out coming at the end of September and And it was really exciting to chat with Mark. He and I are working on a project together. Hopefully it'll come out at the beginning of the year. We're still working through it. And uh, he's really great. And yeah, so tune in for that. Anyways, my lovelies, thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye.